Hey, do you mind if we talk about an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments to the Constitution? Ah! No! Warning. 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 Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. This is the Free to be Free podcast, encouraging you to assert your liberty because you are free to be free. Well, all right, I'll admit that that introduction was a bit over the top, but the point is that there are those who are opposed to an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments to the Constitution. There are also those who are downright afraid of such a convention. And I would argue that in some cases, their opposition is just as much over the top. One thing I find interesting about the opposition to a convention of states is the fact that it comes from two very different political points of view. One group on the left has actually published a letter outlining their opposition, and it includes approximately 300 organizations with concerns regarding an Article 5 convention. Now, I've posted a document in the show notes that you can take a look at, and I'm using it as a good example of the type of argument that is made against the Convention of States. But there are similar concerns that come from the right from organizations like the Eagle Forum and the John Birch Society. Now, my perception is that those on the left who oppose an Article 5 convention are coming from a point of view that goes something like this. We like the way things are. Let's not change it. And then my perception of the point of view coming from the right, from John Birch Society and the Eagle Forum, are we don't like the way things are. We think we need to get back to the Constitution, but we don't want to make anything worse through an Article 5 convention. Even though these two groups approach their opposition to an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments, from different political perspectives, they both land on the same tactics for arguing against such a convention. The first step in these arguments is to completely blur the distinction between an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments and a constitutional convention and a convention of states. So it's important to clearly define the three. First of all, a convention of states is any time a few states or all states get together on a certain issue to hammer out some issues. This has happened many times in our history. A constitutional convention and an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments to the Constitution are both excellent examples of a convention of states. However, they are not the same thing. A constitutional convention is a convention of states for the purpose of writing or rewriting an entire constitution. An Article 5 convention for proposing amendments is a convention of states for the purpose of proposing amendments to the existing constitution 
and it is governed by the constraints in Article 5 of the Constitution. Now, an important point here is that although a constitutional convention and an Article 5 convention are both examples of a convention of states, there is no overlap between the two. They are distinctly different types of conventions of states. So the first step in an opposition argument against the Convention of States project is to use the following terms interchangeably. Convention of States, Constitutional Convention, Article 5 Convention for Proposing Amendments, Article 5 Convention, and the shorthand for Constitutional Convention, CONCON. Now, it's important to note that in opposition arguments, this confusion of terms or equating each of these different types of conventions is an intentional step in arguing against the Convention of States project. However, I have to admit that I often see examples where the terms are mixed innocently. A reporter or, or somebody writing an article would use Article 5 Convention, Convention of States, and Constitutional Convention interchangeably in the article, but this is an error of innocence or ignorance, whatever you want to call it. It's just a lack of education on the difference between those terms. Now let's get back to the opposition arguments that start with eliminating the distinctions between an Article 5 convention and a convention of states or a CONCON. Once this uh, distinction is blurred, the argument would then move to basically attacking a constitutional convention and specifically the 1787 convention, which resulted in our constitution. The first claim would be that the 1787 convention was a runaway convention that the delegates to that convention overstepped the bounds of their call or their commissions, which outlined what they were able to talk about. The argument would be that the delegates were authorized only to modify the existing Articles of Confederation and not rewrite producing a new constitution. But the fact of the matter is that for 10 of the 12 states represented at the Constitutional Convention of 1787, the commissions did authorize a complete rewrite of the Articles of Confederation. Those commissions read that the delegates would be responsible for making the federal constitution adequate for the exigencies of the Union. Now it's important to note that the word constitution in that commission I was a lowercase c. It was not talking about the document, the Constitution as we know it. After all, that it didn't exist yet. But the lowercase c Constitution is simply talking about the structure of the federal government when it refers to the federal Constitution. So this means that the 1787 Constitutional Convention was well within its authority to come up with a brand new structure or constitution for the federal government. Nevertheless, the opposition argument would go on to say that the 1787 convention was a runaway, therefore an Article 5 convention confused with a constitutional convention 
would be a runaway as well. Now, ironically, this argument is often used by those who revere the Constitution and actually argue for a return to the original meaning of that very same Constitution. But by arguing that the original convention in 1787 was a runaway, that necessarily leads to the conclusion that it is an illegitimate document and therefore something we should not be following. And this just doesn't make sense. So to summarize the opposition argument, they start with equating a constitutional convention with an Article 5 convention and tell us that we don't want a constitutional convention. We don't want to open up the whole document for a complete rewrite. The second thing in their argument is that the Constitutional Convention of 1787 was a runaway convention, and therefore, since by their reasoning the Article 5 Convention is the same as a Constitutional Convention, there's a danger of a runaway Article 5 Convention. Now, despite the flaws in the premises of the opposition, the first flaw being equating an Article 5 Convention with a Constitutional Convention, and the second premise in error being that the original 1787 Constitutional Convention was a runaway, there are two points on which the Convention of States project would agree with the opposition, and that is this. Number one, we don't want a Constitutional Convention. We agree on that. We want an Article 5 Convention limited to proposing amendments. And secondly, we don't want a runaway convention either. The difference being is we don't feel that's a danger given the safeguards in the Article 5 process. And if you're interested in learning a little bit more about those, I would refer you to my previous podcast, episode number two, which outlines the safeguards in the Article 5 convention process. Now, as I said earlier, the opposition from the left, I would sum up their position as we like things the way they are, therefore we don't want an Article 5 convention to make any changes. Now, opposition that comes from the right would agree with the Convention of States that the federal government is out of control and something needs to be done, so they don't like the way things are either. However, the common alternative to an Article 5 convention, which they would recommend, is the concept of nullification. And this is a theory whereby states can nullify federal laws because there is an implied power in the Tenth Amendment in uh, reserving powers to the states that aren't granted to the federal government, whereby states can nullify laws. After all, states created the federal government in the first place. The problem with the nullification argument is that there is nothing in the Constitution that defines that. It's an implied power coming out of the Tenth Amendment. However, in a practical matter, I'd, I'd struggle with how nullification could really work to address our existing problems. For example, how do you nullify the national debt? How do you nullify a government that collects data through the NSA on every person in America without a warrant? It simply doesn't seem to be something that is a practical solution. Now, if you'd like to look into the theory of nullification a little further, I have included a link to the Wikipedia entry on nullification in the show notes, and I'd encourage you to have a read of that. 
At this point, I'd like to move on to another concern that is often raised regarding an Article 5 Convention of the States, and that is the observation that Article 5 provides very little information on the logistics of the convention itself. And this is true. Article 5 simply states that Congress must call the convention upon the application of two-thirds of the states. And in this context, the term call has a very specific meaning. It refers to the ministerial duty of Congress to simply name the time and the place of the convention. It gives Congress no other authority over the convention itself. So then the question is, how do we know how the convention runs? How do we know what the rules are? Very little is offered in Article 5 itself. And the answer is that a convention of states was a very well understood and defined process. So let me give you an example. If my wife were to ask me to pick up some milk, I'm probably not going to tell her, well, I don't know what you want me to do. What kind of milk should I get? What store should I go to? Should I drive to the store? Should I walk to the store? Should I ride my bike? There are all kinds of questions, and she hasn't given me that specific detail. However, I, of course, know for our family the kind of milk to get. I know I'm probably going to go to the Kroger closest to our house. I know I'm going to get there by driving my car, all because this is something I have done over and over and over again. And the same is true of a convention of states. There have been many, many conventions in the history of the United States, and when the founders were talking of a convention, they knew exactly what they were talking about and how the convention itself would operate. Now, a smaller part of an objection related to that is how the convention runs. The convention can make up its own rules, and oh my gosh, if we had a legislative body like that that could make up its own rules, who knows what would happen? Well, for that objection, I would point you to Article 1, Section 5, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution. And this article of the Constitution lays out the structure of Congress, of the House and the Senate. And uh, Section 5, Paragraph 2 states, Each House may determine the rules of its proceedings. So if you're concerned about a legislative body setting its own rules, you need to worry about a lot more than just an Article 5 convention. You need to worry about the House and the Senate and the federal government. And oh, by the way, you also need to worry about the House and the Senate in each and every state. And we've had hundreds of years of experience with these legislative bodies setting their own rules. Now, I'm not saying it's always worked for the best, We've got that nice uh, rule in the Senate of cloture, which is sometimes good, sometimes bad. There are some questionable rules, but it's certainly not a state where things are completely out of control and the bodies do not know how to operate. Now, I would say the best way to think of an Article 5 convention is it is a legislative committee. And Congress and the Senate and our state legislatures work through committees all the time. In, in fact, an Article 5 Convention of the States for Proposing Amendments can be characterized as an interstate legislative committee. Now, just like legislative committees at the federal level or the state level, a committee cannot pass anything. 
Committees cannot make law. They can make recommendations, and that's true of an Article 5 convention. They can only make recommendations in the form of proposed amendments. And actually, committees, therefore, aren't good at all at specifically passing law, but they are a very effective tool in stopping laws. If you, you would talk to any legislator and ask them, have you ever had a bill held up in committee or died in committee or tabled in a committee? And they'd probably tell you all the time. So that's one of the most powerful uses of legislative committees is blocking legislation, whether good or bad. It's not something typically that's going to result in a lot of wild or bad ideas coming out of committee to go to the floor for a vote. And an Article 5 convention works the same way. It's simply an interstate legislative committee which would propose amendments that would then pass to each state legislature to their floor for a vote before anything could be considered as part of the Constitution. Well, I hope that I've adequately answered any concerns about an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments in this podcast. But let's say I didn't completely do that, that you still have some doubt. You think, well, we are still taking a risk. Something could go wrong. And if I grant you that assumption, uh, let me share a story with you. Now, this is a fictitious story, but let's imagine a loved one, say uh, your spouse or a child, someone very dear to you, has been taken hostage by a bad guy. And this bad guy right in front of you is assaulting this loved one, and you are powerless to do anything about it. And actually, this assault could only be described as the bad guy administering a death of a thousand cuts upon your loved one. Well, as I said, in this situation, you have no direct ability to take action to prevent this, but you do have one option, and that's to call the police. And you do that, and the police show up, you show them the situation, they see what's going on, they agree with you that uh, there's an assault going on and we need to stop this, and you're asking the police officer to use his service weapon to take out the bad guy and end this assault on your loved one. But before he does that, he pauses and he says, oh, well, I've been uh, a police officer for 25 years and I've never had to use my weapon in service yet. I don't know if I'm capable of it. And then he says, and you know, it's a pretty windy day. If I take a shot, the bullet might stray and it could end up hurting your loved one. Or maybe when the bad guy sees me and sees me pull my weapon, he may panic and intensify his attack or turn his attack on others. I just don't think it's a good idea for me to take that shot. Well, how would you feel about that police officer? You'd certainly want him to take the shot, wouldn't you? Because if he doesn't, he's simply condemning you and himself to simply be a spectator to this death by a thousand cuts being administered by the bad guy upon your loved one. Now, fortunately, that's a fictitious story. But let me turn it into a true story, one that is going on today. That loved one who's under assault, that's our Constitution. 
And unfortunately, the bad guy who's administering this assault, this death of a thousand cuts, he represents our federal officials, Congress, the president, the judiciary, and all of the uh, regulatory staff of the federal government. These are all people who've taken an oath and sworn to protect, preserve, and defend the very Constitution that they're assaulting. And the police officer in this story, that's your state legislator because they are the only ones with the power to take any action. We as citizens obviously don't have an ability to take a direct action, just like the family member in the story before, they had to call the police in and we have to call our state legislators in to take the shot. And if we don't, if they refuse to, we are simply condemned to be spectators to the slow and torturous death of a thousand cuts of our Constitution. And with that story, we'll put a wrap on Episode 3 of the Free to be Free podcast. I really do appreciate you listening, and I would ask that you would consider to like, share, and subscribe to the Free to be Free podcast. This is the Free to be Free podcast. I'm Paul Phillips. The opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. You can learn more about the Convention of States project at conventionofstates.com. You can also find the Convention of States project on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The most important thing that you can do at conventionofstates.com is to study and learn the issue for yourself. Then you'll want to sign the petition. This will let your state legislators know that you are ready to assert your liberty through an Article 5 Convention of the States. Until next time, stay free, my friends.